Man, it's awesome. We have this, I feel like it's been, I don't know why, maybe it was the hurricane that we almost had or whatever. I feel like it's been so long since I've seen you. I'm so glad that you're here. I couldn't wait for this week. I'm just so glad, so excited about what God is doing in our church and uh, starting to see a little bit of trickle of some of the snowbirds coming back. If you're watching online, we want to say hey. And if you're a snowbird and you're going to, this is your home uh, for part of the year, we are looking forward, except for the traffic, we're looking greatly forward to you guys coming uh, back to our church. But, you know, uh, I was thinking about church growth, and I was thinking about the call of the, the Lord on the church, and it's just kind of funny. You kind of have to be in the pastor circle to kind of know this, but sometimes when pastors get together in a roundtable discussion or at conferences or whatever, they, they like to brag about the size of their church, you know? And it, they'll, they'll be, you know, sitting around a group of pastors and, and invariably it starts, you know, yeah, well, my church is about 600 people. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, how large is your church? Oh, it's about 800. And, you know, we have about 1,000 at our church, and about 1,200. And I was, I'll never forget this. I was around this, this group of pastors and this one guy was, I think he was making fun of these pastors for bragging about the size of their church. And so he said, yeah, my church is, uh, we're between five and 6,000 people. And they went, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, how, how did you, that's so cool, five and 6,000 people. He said, yeah, let me, let me clarify. He goes, we're between five and 6,000 people. <laughs> As we've been growing, I want to tell you that the size of a church does not matter at all. It really doesn't. Numbers matter, but only in the sense of people being saved eternally through Jesus Christ. That part is absolutely important. I've been to very, very healthy churches that are about 50 people, and I've been to some unhealthy churches that are about 50 people. I've worked with churches of 10,000 people that are healthy, healthy churches, and I've been to some churches that are 10,000 people that I kind of go, I kind of question whether they're a healthy church or not. But here's what matters. Here's what matters to us is that being faithful to the Lord and what he has called us to do, being a healthy church that obeys the call of God in their lives is what matters the most. And inside of that, and I loved, I appreciated, and Lori and I didn't get a chance to talk, but if you heard her welcome time, it really ties in really, really well with today. But inside of that is the laborers of sharing the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. And he is called, and I, sometimes I think that the church thinks that the pastors are the ones that are supposed to do that or the professionals are the ones that are supposed to do that. But he's actually called every single one of us who are following Jesus to share Jesus with others and faithfully obey when God is speaking to us, when God speaks to us. And when we do that, in most of the cases, the church grows, and it grows for the right reason when we focus on Jesus Christ. Now, you can grow a church. We, we could grow a church by having free ice cream every Sunday for everybody who comes. And I've long thought that we should, you know. <laughs> do that. But if that was our only diet, if that was our only means of getting people to come, we wouldn't be a very healthy church. But we're in the book of Acts, and I love the book of Acts because in the book of Acts, we're looking at the history of the church. That's what the book of Acts is. It's about the history of the church, how the church was formed, how the church functioned, and how the church behaved, and how the church grows. And what we see in, is that the church that is focused on Jesus Christ 
and the continuation of his ministry, which is what Acts is. It's a continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended into heaven. And even 2,000 years later, churches that rely on the power of the Holy Spirit seem to flourish and grow. And so it is my prayer and it is my heart's desire to have a passion for all of us to have a passion for people who are lost in this world without Jesus and sharing with them what Jesus has done for us. Now, one of the challenges, and I shared this with us months ago when we kind of first started in this uh, book of Acts journey, that if we're not careful, we can read the book of Acts and we can read all these accounts of of the growth in the book of Acts and we see all these incredible things that God has done that seem outside of the norm. They, they're miracles, and we think, well, why doesn't God seem to work that way uh, in the church today? And here's what I want to say. I think he absolutely does. I think God absolutely works in the church the same today as he did yesterday or 2,000 years ago. It's just that, and the way I think about it, it's just that the miraculous things that happen don't happen to us every day, and they don't happen all the time. However, if we had the time and we had an open mic and we could share around this room for all of you who are Christ followers, and we could capture all of the miraculous things and the supernatural things that God has done, even within just our body of believers in this room alone, we could probably write an entire book about what, has, what God has done in these kind of special events that have happened in our life. And our faith really grows when we share stories of the miraculous things that God has done, even if it seems like there haven't been but only one or two of those things in our our lives. But if we added them all up in this room, I think it would increase our faith exponentially. Now, I've I've only had a small handful of those kinds of moments where, you know, I heard God speak to me and I obeyed and and he did something really cool out of that, you know. Now, you may be thinking, well, God never speaks to me. Um, But if you read God's word, then he is speaking to you. God speaks to us primarily through scripture and it's available to you all of the time. That's his primary way of communicating. And so God will absolutely speak to you if you will read his word and if you will listen to him and meditate and actually spend time listening to God. Now, I've never heard God speak audibly to me. Some of you, I've heard stories where you said, I absolutely believe I heard God speak audibly to me. Um, that's never happened to me before. He certainly can. He's the God of the universe that speaks and a universe comes into existence, right? So he can do whatever he wants to do. Now, I don't want to sound uh, weirder to you than you probably already think that I am, but there have been two really distinct times that I believe that God spoke to me in, very specifically in a dream. Now, I've told you one uh, about a year ago or so. I'll save that one. It's actually even crazier than this one. Um, but but um, I had this guy. I had this guy that I knew about 30 years ago in one of the first churches that I had served in in Kentucky. And uh, John Brill was his name. He was one of the elders of our church. I thought he was an old man back then. He was, he was about my he was about my age, you know. Now, so I don't know what that means. But um, and uh, and so I hadn't spoken to him for a long time. And about six or seven years ago, I had a dream, and I woke up, and in the dream, it was very specific. It was very vivid, and I had this dream that I was with the Lord in heaven, and that I was talking to John Brill's dad, who I'd never met, didn't even know who he was. In fact. He had died before I was even born. And uh, so 
So in the dream, John's dad said, I want you to tell my son very specifically, I love you. Tell my son from me, I love you, son. And I woke up from this dream, and it was like so crystal clear and such a vivid dream, and I thought, you know, this is crazy. I can't just check this off as a pizza late at night or something, you know. I'm, I'm going to act on this. Now, I, I've had other crazy things that I didn't act on, but I thought, man, this is weird, but I just feel like, I feel like this was from the Lord, and, and, I, and I called John up on the phone. I hadn't talked to him for years, and I called him up on the phone. I said, hey, John, I said, this is Mitch, and we caught up for a little bit. I said, hey, I got to tell you something, and it is going to be really strange, and it's weird, and, and I just wanted to tell you that I had a dream last night, and in my dream, I met your dad, and your dad told me to tell you these words, I love you, son. And there was a silence on the phone. You had to kind of know John. He's kind of this you know, rah, 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 guy. He's just kind of a grumpy old guy, you know. If you're watching John, you're still a grumpy old guy. <laughs> He's about 80-some years old now. But um, there was a silence on the phone. I said, are you still there? He said, I'm, I'm here. And you could tell he was getting choked up. And he said, my dad died when I was 16 years old. And he never said the words, I love you, to me. I always thought, I always knew that he loved me, but he never said those words. And that was kind of strange, wasn't it? That was weird, and I acted on that. And I want to tell you, I had a mentor of mine tell me one time, he said, if God gives you something to share with somebody else, share it, do it, see what happens. Man, it's amazing when you actually act on these things that you think are coming from God. And so one of my biggest encouragements to you today is that if God is speaking to you, and he is and will, especially if you're reading his word, you may not have this dream or you may not have an audible voice or an angel show up in front of you one day. But one of my biggest encouragements to you today is that if God is speaking to you to do something, then do it and see what happens. It's absolutely amazing. Now, the way that you measure if it's really God speaking to you is you measure up with what God is telling you to do, and you measure it up with Scripture. If you can back it up with Scripture, then it very well could be God speaking to you in some way. Uh, and, and, and you never know what might come out of that obedience. God will never tell you, though. You hear these stories about these people that are, commit some heinous crime, and they say, well, God told me to do that. No, God didn't tell you to do that. It was something else. You know, if you can't measure it up with Scripture, then that's not God telling you. God will never tell you to do something that's contradictive to his word. He will never tell you to do something that is, that is wrong. That's not God speaking to you. I think, at least in my life, one of the challenges that I have, and I think that we have as in our culture, is not spending enough time listening to God. We do a lot of talking to God, hopefully you do, but we don't spend a lot of time listening. And in our lives, we're so, you know, distracted, right? We're so distracted. We don't listen to God. Well, today there's an occasion as we continue on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, in the second half of chapter 8, I think we start with verse 24, Philip, Philip listens to God, and he obeys, and lives are changed, and not just the one life that we're going to see that's changed, but generational change actually happens because he listens to God, and I'm convinced, I am absolutely convinced that the church grows in the healthiest ways by all of us living obediently and sharing our story of what God has done in our lives with those around us. So here's the Bible account for what I'm talking about 
in all of this. Acts chapter 8, when we left off last week, and this is sort of a part two of the message, Philip, this is not Philip the apostle, Philip, this is Philip, an ordinary guy, and I, I think it's good to say that most of the expansion that happened, almost all of the expansion that happened throughout the world in Christianity happened through ordinary people that God did extraordinary things through. And so this is Philip, a different Philip that was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And this Philip had gone into Samaria and he started telling people about Jesus. God called him to Samaria and he started sharing. And then a revival breaks out in Samaria, which I'd love to spend a lot of time talking about that because that's a message all in itself right there. But there was this revival that broke out and many, many, many people were saved they were saved from eternal hell. They were saved to, to an eternity with God. They put their faith and hope in Jesus. They were baptized, and then later they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But now it's time for Philip to move on from Samaria, and he hears uh, from God speaking directly to him through an angel. And so Philip hears from God to go to the desert on the way south from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, I've been there. Jim and I have been there, Todd and I have been there, uh, and it, there's nothing to see there in that desert part. There's a lot to see in Israel, not much to see in the desert, totally void of just about anything but rock and sand. But Philip follows. He hears the call of God. God tells him to go to this place. He doesn't appear to ask why anywhere that God's sending him there rather than to the beach town of Capernaum or someplace nice like that. It's just that God said to go to the desert, didn't have a lot of instruction, go to the desert, and Philip obeyed. Now, just so we can get a feel for what Philip was facing on his missionary journey for God, he had to walk about 165 miles through the desert to get to where God was calling him. I figured that out. Actually, I did that this morning early. I thought, how long would it take to walk 165 miles? Where would that, what's the equivalent of that? The equivalent of that is like you take off if if all of Florida was a desert instead of you know whatever this is a tropic uh, subtropic if all of Florida was a desert it would be like walking from here to Daytona Beach it'd be like that kind of a hike and it would be like that kind of a hike with hills and small mountain ranges okay it would take just shy of two weeks for a normal person to make that journey three weeks for me you know but when I was thinking about that, uh, I was really convicted. I was really convicted about how many times I've complained when I've gone on a mission journey. You know, like, geez, I had to fly 16 hours to Dubai just to have a 12-hour layover and then fly another five hours to Africa. And I read an account like this with Philip, and I'm like, really, Mitchell? Come on, man. What are you complaining about? You just had people bring you food on a modern-day jet trying to make me as comfortable as possible in an air-conditioned plane. Then I had to rough it out in a hotel in one of the richest cities in the world in Dubai where I could have anything that I wanted, anything that I needed. And I'm like, oh, the sacrifices I had to make for the Lord, you know. And then you look at this like Philip and you think, man, there's nothing that we could do. If you guys choose to go to Brazil, there's nothing that still doesn't compare to the trip that Philip was on. So he's on this journey in the desert walking 165 miles, and along the way, he runs into a eunuch from Ethiopia. This is where the story starts to get really good, because I don't know how many of you know what a eunuch is. We're going to talk about that, and it's actually really important. I thought for the longest time, why would the Bible be so specific and tell this guy's personal thing about being a eunuch, you know? And so, um, 
it really plays into the story, and I can't wait for you to see it. Here's what the scripture says. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord told him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch, the Bible says, of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. All right. Let's just talk about a eunuch for just a second, just because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page with a eunuch. Um, if you don't, I tell you what, how many of you know what a eunuch is? All right. If you don't know, uh, ask the person sitting next to you. <laughs> yeah. In case they really didn't know, I'll tell you what it is. A eunuch is someone who has been castrated. Okay, in other words, they don't have any. Well, they're a eunuch. Okay, <laughs> if you don't know what castrated is, yeah, just uh, ask your neighbor. <laughs> I have so many comments that I want to say about this, but most of them are only going to result in you sending me an email after this message <laughs> and uh, complaining. But, but one question that I just can't let it go is, you know. How did Philip know that he was a eunuch? I mean, how did he know? I mean, did the fellow introduce himself and did he try to overcompensate? You know, hello, my name's Ethan. I'm a eunuch. Nice to meet you, you know. Or did he go, hi, my name's Ethan. I was practicing that in the house while Michelle was in the other room. <laughs> She's like, what's going on in there? All right, today, so today, Ethiopia is actually a small country. But in that day, Ethiopia was basically everything south of the Nile River. So it was this, it was this huge area. And this guy, um, Ethan, his name's not really Ethan. I just gave him Ethan because it sounds like, if you're Ethan in here, I'm sorry. It doesn't mean you're a eunuch. But uh, this guy was the treasurer of the entire region, and this is a powerful dude, even with all things considered. And so eunuchs were much, much more common during that day, especially if you worked for royalty or you worked for the government, although I think we have a lot of politicians in Washington that must be eunuchs, but, you know, no emails. Anyway, so here's the reason. Here's the reason. The reason they would be castrated is that it was the ultimate show of loyalty. There would be no hanky-panky among these trusted leaders with the wives of the royalty or with the, or with the harems of their superiors. So that was why eunuchs were very popular. If you worked for royalty, then that, would, that was a part of culture. It happened for lots of different countries uh, where people were, would become eunuchs in order to serve royalty. And they could become very influential and powerful people. But we're going to see how this plays into Scripture and why this guy was on a journey. Here's what it says. It says, The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And for whatever reason, this guy was curious about the God of the Jews. I mean, and, and they had a lot of different religions in Ethiopia at that time. They worshiped things like the stars and the moon and the, and the sun and animals. And, and maybe, we don't really know for sure, but maybe this guy had the sense that there's, 
There's more to life than this. You know, there's maybe there was something inside of him that said, you know, hey, the sun and the stars and the moon, the animals are great. Uh, they're wonderful things, but they're not the source of everything, right? And so he was also on a chariot. Now, these chariots were not like what you might think. They're not these, these big chariots on wheel, wheels pulled by horses. They were hoisted in the air. You've seen pictures of that or movies that depict that, where they were hoisted in the air by about eight men who were carrying this chariot. And the journey, now Philip had to walk 165 miles, but the journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem was about 1,200 miles. So can you imagine how long of a journey that would have been? Round trip, that would take about six-month journey to go to worship. But more than that, can you imagine how long the journey was for his crew that was carrying him? Here's what the Bible goes on to say. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, I want you to go over and walk along beside the carriage. And Philip ran over and heard the man, and the man was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now there's a couple of things that I don't want us to miss here with Philip first. He listened to God and he acted on it. When you listen to God and obey God's call, amazing things seem to happen. It does. But secondly, Philip is looking for an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with this man. Now, how many times have we missed in our lives as followers of Jesus, how many times have we missed an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody because we're not paying attention, you know? I remember one time where God just gave me a softball pitch to hit uh, for an opportunity to share the gospel, and I swung. And I've missed a lot more opportunities than I've probably followed the call of God on. But I was looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with my neighbor. This is many, many years ago. And and to be quite honest with you, and maybe some of you feel this way, I was nervous. I was nervous in doing it because, quite frankly, I just worried about what he might think about me, sharing what God has done for me. It's crazy to think that way, you know, but I was worried and I was nervous about it. Well, I had just finished helping him re-roof his garage, and it definitely tells you that was a long time ago because I won't get on the roof and do that anymore, but I'd helped him re-roof his garage, which, by the way, though, I think is way more effective method of sharing the love of Christ with somebody than standing on a street corner with a sign because we had sweat together. You know, we had worked hard all day together, and I was helping him and developing a relationship with him. And it was dark now, and our project was complete, and we were just admiring our work. Do you ever do that? Do you ever finish a project and then you're just like? <laughs> Michelle did that the other day. She cleaned our garage, you know, just like cleaned up the whole garage, even mopped the floor in our garage. I mean, who does that? She cleaned in the garage and mopped the floor. I come home and she's sitting in a chair in the garage. So we were just sitting outside at night, admiring our work on this fine roof on the garage that we had put up, and I was praying, Lord, would you give me an opportunity? Would you give me an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with my neighbor? And about that time, his little five-year-old boy was sitting out there with us, and he looked up in the stars, and he goes, Jesus, Jesus, are you out there, Jesus? Jesus, can you hear me? And I went, I guess that's my cue, you know? 
And, he, and I was looking for an opportunity, and there couldn't have been a finer opportunity than a little boy saying that. And it opened up an incredible spiritual conversation, all because this little boy looked up in the sky and said, Jesus, are you out there? I actually get emotional when I think about that story because that family, to my knowledge, did not have a faith uh, before that night that I'm aware of. And, and now that family are deeply rooted followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mom actually works at a church and, and is helping and is part of changing lives all the time. It's a primary focus in their lives. I get emotional thinking about that, not because of my faithfulness that night, but I actually get emotional thinking about all the opportunities that I've missed because I was distracted or I wasn't listening to God or I wasn't paying attention. And I want to say this. If you hear nothing else, hear this. You just never, ever know the impact that you will have on others when you share what God has done for you in your life. You will never fully know. You will never fully know. We will never fully know until we get to heaven. The lives and the eternal impact that you have on other people when you share the story of God's love with others. You might not just be changing the life of that one person that you're talking to, but it becomes generational. You talk to this person and it changes their family And then it changes other people because they're going out and talking to other people. You will never know the impact that you can make with a conversation that's spiritual that tells people about the love of God. It can change their life for eternity and then generationally. It's absolutely that important. That's why God gives us that command to go. Well, Jesus gave Philip a softball pitch, basically, to the guy that was standing up trying to be religious, and he's reading this scripture aloud. And this is how Philip captured, uh, capitalized on this moment. So the Ethiopian eunuch was, was standing in the chariot, and he's reading scripture aloud in the middle of the desert, and Philip thought, well, this must be my cue, you know. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, well, how can I? I'm just reading this. I can't understand it unless somebody instructs me. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. (laughs) I found this kind of funny. This must have been a great relief for Philip to take a load off of his feet from walking for a while. But I bet the servants were like, you've got to be kidding me. 1,200 miles and now we're picking up a hitchhiker? You know. (laughs) The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. This This is what the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. He was actually reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, which was actually written about 800 years before Jesus' birth. And Isaiah had prophesied, this should be a faith building block for you, Isaiah had prophesied about the coming of the Messiah that he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. He would be wrongfully accused for crimes he did not commit and would not even open his mouth to defend himself. And all of this came true about Jesus because when Jesus was standing before Pilate, he was accused of the most heinous crimes. And even though he hadn't done them, he remained silent. And when Jesus didn't open his mouth and defend himself, you know, why, why was it? Why did Jesus not open his mouth and defend himself? Well, when you're in a court of, a cube, in a court of law and you're being accused of a, court, of a crime 
and you have no response, what are you conceding? You're actually conceding guilt. And Jesus was conceding guilt to Pilate, not his own guilt, because he had no guilt. He's the only God-man to ever live and walk the earth that was perfect life. But he stood silent because he was consenting to my guilt. He was consenting to your guilt. He would be wounded for my transgressions, for my sins, my wrong things, bearing my shame. Jesus was going to be beaten and punished for our sin. And then this is where it gets interesting and why the Bible mentions eunuch. The eunuch asked Philip, he says, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or was he talking about somebody else? Let me tell you the reason why he really wants to know this. There was a sign out in front of the outer courts of the temple of the Jews that said, no lame, no lame people allowed, no blind people allowed, no eunuchs may enter here. But in the same section of Scripture from which the eunuch was reading, the Bible says a little further down, he says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them, the eunuchs, I will give them within the walls of my house, I will give them a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give for the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I believe absolutely the reason that the eunuch traveled so far was to find out how he could be blessed by God being a eunuch. So for the first time in his life, when Philip is sharing this, what this means for the first time in his life, the eunuch is identified now as a child of God as a child of the king, rather than his identity being wrapped up in a man who had no, he was a eunuch, you know. So, oh, shouldn't trip there. Let me tell you, some of you need to hear that. Because no matter what you've done, no matter what decisions you've made in your past, even if your loyalty to this point, like the eunuch, uh, was not loyal to the Lord. You will be accepted freely and unconditionally to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You will be a child, you will be a son, and you will be a daughter of the King because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And the only requirement is that you believe and you accept Jesus for who he really is. And then the passage goes on to speak to us, speak to you. He says, I will also bless the foreigners that's you, that's me, who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him, who do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. You and I, we're the foreigners. And so Philip then describes what this means for him, for the eunuch, and he describes what it means for you and I. He says, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And then Philip shared with him about the love of God through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us. Then he must have told him the way to be saved. We don't see that written in the scripture, but he must have told him the way to be saved, to put our faith and our hope in Jesus. And then he must have told him to be baptized right away because this is what happened in the next scripture. He says, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, well, look, there's some water. 
Why can't I be baptized right now, right there, you know? And so he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I said this last week, that if you haven't been baptized and you believe in Jesus, what are you waiting for? And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Notice it said uh, that they came up out of the water. That's just another example of biblical baptism being by full immersion going down into the water. Now, we don't know from Scripture what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch. However, um, the ancient historian Eusebius, he, he writes about this eunuch in some of his uh, history in antiquity. And he writes about the eunuch and he writes about the band of servants that they actually went on to plant the first church in Africa after that. And here's what I want to leave you with today. Listen to the call of God in your life. God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you all the time through his word primarily. And obey the call in your life to share what God has done in you Share that with others because you will never fully know the eternal impact that you will have on others when you share the story of what God has done in your life. And you're not just changing one person's life, but you're changing generations. Generations. If Eusebius is right, this man went back to Africa and planted the first church. Africa today is the leading a continent in the world for the expansion of Christianity. Not the United States, Africa. The leading continent in the world for Christianity in the lower two-thirds of Africa. You could say that millions of lives, millions of lives have been saved because Philip listened to God and had a spiritual conversation with a man on a desert road outside of Jerusalem. Imagine that happened an entire continent millions of people imagine what would happen if every single one of us here in Venice and whoever's watching online would be sharing the love of God with other people and at a bare minimum at least inviting them to come to church and see what God is doing it would radically change our culture around us if 100% of followers of Jesus would be out sharing the love of God with others radically you want to change culture radically this is God's plan it's plan a to go make disciples make disciples so church go no really go and share the good news of Jesus this week. Would you stand with me? If you came today and you would love to have uh, somebody pray with you, uh, we'd love to pray with you after the service. You can come up here to your right in the front and we'll have some of our prayer team elders up here and we'd love to pray with you after the service. If you have any spiritual needs or if God's been moving in your heart in any way, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for our family of believers. And yes, we're all broken. God, that's when you do your best work. 
because we're not relying on ourselves, we're relying on you, we're relying on your Holy Spirit. And God, would you help us this week to be more aware? Could we remove the distractions in our life so that we can listen to you, listen to you more clearly, listen to your word and not just listen to it, but to obey it and to follow it. And one of those commands is to share the love of Christ with others around us. God, would you give us that courage and that tenacity and that passion Would you give us the heart for lost people like you have a heart for lost people? In Jesus' name, amen.